Second Chronicles 15, and I'll read verses 1 through 15. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwell with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth day or fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is a, a rich resource to lead us and guide us through the difficulties of life. And we ask you now to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to see and hear your will for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When I was very young, I was probably five to 10 years old, I guess, I think my favorite game in all the world was hide-and-seek. We would play it both indoors and outdoors. And in hide-and-seek, you go hide. One person is it. And then all, everybody else goes and hides. And then the person that's it has to count up to whatever number and then go and seek out everybody. And then it ver there are variations of the game. It's kind of a game that everybody plays, and it has lots of different rules in different parts of the country. And uh, where I grew up in Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, we would play until you find everybody, typically. And if you can't, if the person that's it cannot find everybody, they yell, ollie, ollie, in free. That's what we would yell. Here, I guess, I was telling a fellow at work, and he said, no, here we say, ollie, ollie, oxen free. But I guess that varies too. And so anyway, it was a favorite game. You could play it both inside and outside. 
and uh, we enjoyed playing it everywhere. Now there are variations of the game and just recently, uh, I, I don't know, recently, a year or two ago, I remember, uh, I think everybody was at the Dykstra's and they were playing sardines to where uh, one person goes and hides and then everybody starts looking for them and as they find them, they get with them. They, they have to sit there and hide right with them wherever they are. And then there was another game that I remembered playing and this one was probably the scariest of these outdoor games and it was called Ghost in the Graveyard. And there is one person that's designated as the ghost and they have to run out and hide in the dark. This is an outdoor game. And then the remainder count very slowly. One o'clock, two o'clock, and then it builds to 12 o'clock. And then they go out seeking that ghost. And the first one to see the ghost yells ghost in the graveyard and then everybody runs back to base. And the ghost is trying to tag somebody to make them it. That way they have to be the ghost next time. But the reason I share all of this, and you won't believe this, but I propose to demonstrate it to you that it's true, is that we are involved in a game of hide and seek with God. And I think I can prove that to you from scripture. And we just read a portion of it that I believe I'll use to defend that. And so this hide and seek just kind of came to my mind as I was reading on this chapter uh, a couple days ago, listening to it and then reading it. And so I wanted to preach on it. Let me give you some illustrations, for instance. Now, when I say that we are involved in a game of hide and seek with God, you might be tempted to believe that it is we who are hiding and it is God who seeks us out. And there is a parable to that effect where Jesus spoke of the shepherd going out and seeking the one lost sheep, the, the hundredth sheep of the, of the hundred. Ninety-nine stay put and he goes and seeks, seeks the one. And that's true. But if you look at the words for seek and find throughout scripture, that's not typical. It's very atypical. Generally, it is about God hiding and us doing the seeking. And let me read you some illustrations. There are about 25 references explicitly to God hiding from us. And let me read four of them. Deuteronomy 31:17. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. Psalm 55, 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Psalm 89, 46. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? And Isaiah 45, 15. Truly, you are God, who hide yourself, O God of Israel the Savior. And so that's hiding, illustrations of God hiding from us. And then there are many references of us seeking after God. And I think there are about 75 just that I could kind of do a quick count on. And let me again give you four, four of these. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 4.29, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face forevermore. 1 Chronicles 22, 19, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Ezra 8, 22, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. 
Now, I want to share with you a little bit of the background on our text because we jumped right into the middle of the reign of King Asa. And so I want to familiarize you with it. Uh, first, in the context of time, King Asa was a king of Judah, the southern kingdom. He was the third after uh, Solomon because we know that we had the combined uh, single kingdom under Saul and then David and then Solomon. But then under Solomon's son Rehoboam, we had the division of the kingdom into north and south. And so then the northern kingdom, which came to be called Israel, and the southern kingdom came to be called Judah to separate the two, the northern kingdom was led by Jeroboam. While Solomon reigned, Jeroboam, a prophet, had gone to him and, and had him rip a, a garment, and Jeroboam then was given ten pieces of cloth and said, you will have ten of the tribes to rule, and the remainder would remain with David's line. Now Solomon found out about this, and it's not surprising to know, given that Solomon had kind of fallen away from God by this time, that Solomon then sought Jeroboam's life. Jeroboam fled to Egypt. But upon Solomon's death, he heard of this, and he came back, and he sought to seek reconciliation with Rehoboam. He said, your father mistreated us. So Rehoboam asked for three days. He consulted with Solomon's advisors, and they said, if you treat this man kindly, he'll be your servant for life. But then he consulted his friends, and they said, ah, tell him that your father had nothing on you. You're going to be meaner to them than your father was. And that's what he did. And then Jeroboam said, do your tents, O Israel. We have no part in Jesse's son. So whew, they're off, and now it's division. It's been divided. Uh, it was then divided for hundreds of years. So now we've got uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and he reigned for about 17 years. His son, Abijam, reigned for only three years, and then Asa took over. And we are in about the 10th to 15th year of Asa's reign. He reigned for 41 years. In the southern kingdom, or in the northern kingdom, rather, the rebellious kingdom, Jeroboam ruled for 22 years, and then Nadab for a couple, and then Baasha for six of 24. Now, Baasha was a strong king of northern. He built up a strong army and was a force to be reckoned with by both Asa and his son Jehoshaphat. Okay, enough of the background of just the general stuff. Now, Asa, as I said, he's in his 10th year. He's had peace all this time, and he has used that time wisely. Scripture commends Asa. He was a good king of the south. And so he built up his cities. He reinforced his cities during this 10 years of peace. Then the king of Ethiopia came against him with a million-man army. And he had roughly half that to do battle against this king. And in chapter 14, Asa goes out to him and he cries out to the Lord to save them. And God saves them, decimates this Ethiopian army. And then they take these massive spoils because they're finding on all the soldiers, they're finding all this wealth. And then they take the, all the animals that that army had brought with them to survive on. So they have all of these tremendous spoils. And what I read, we actually referred to that because it says that they offered to the Lord from the spoils that they had taken. And that's this recent war that they came back from. So let me reread four verses from what I read to you earlier because we're going to expand upon those. I'm going to read to you 15, 2, 4, 12, and 15. 15, 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. So now the prophet is speaking. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. 
But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse 4. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. Verse 12. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Verse 15. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them. Now the reason I uh, reread those verses is that there's a lot of hide-and-go-seek in these four verses, and I want to share them with you. So the first one is verse 2. This is where the prophet explains to Asa the rules of hide-and-go-seek by which they are to play this with God. So the Lord is with you while you are with him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. There are problems in hide-and-go-seek when you play the game. And those of you that are young will remember these. Those of you that are older might have to jog your memory. But one of the problems is that sometimes it's tough to find a place to hide. And you find yourself just bouncing around, not knowing where to go, and you keep running past by this person that's counting. 10, 11, 12, 13, and they're counting way too fast. They should be counting much slower. So they're counting and you can't find a place to hide. But see, the Lord is with you while you are with him. It's really just a logical statement, right? The Lord is with you while you are with him. But see, you have to get out of that person's presence to play hide and go seek. If you're there when they are done counting, they look up and they see you. You didn't do a very good job of hiding, now did you? There is another game that I played in my youth, and I didn't like this game. Actually, I didn't really play it as it was supposed to be played. We had some really mean dads. My dad was mean, but I have to cut him some slack on this because he ended up being nice to me. But we lived in a very large housing development in a suburb of Pittsburgh called Greensburg. And we lived in a new development, and there were all these young families in there. And a bunch of these dads would get together, I guess, and devise diabolical plots to spring upon their kids. So one night we're at my house, and all the dads are talking about this wonderful thing called snipe hunting. And uh, they're behind our house, it's all fallow land, and it goes down to a creek. And then beyond the creek is a field, and then beyond the field is a church and a cemetery up on the hill. And so they're really playing this up for the older kids. I was probably about five or six, but my older brothers are like, you know, eight and nine. And uh, the dads are all playing up this snipe hunting. And then they got all the boys excited and they're saying, okay, boys, we want you to go get a flashlight and a brown paper bag. So all the boys rush off and they gather all this stuff up and they come back and we go off by car because the dads aren't going to be walking down through this field at night and crossing this creek. And we have to drive around about three miles to get only a half a mile away. So I'm with my dad, and I'm not, I've never played this game before. I'm a little worried about this game. And so we leave the cars, and we're out here, and they're explaining that some of the boys have to go to the far side of the cemetery and start flushing the snipe towards those that have the bags. And so the, ki the kids have the bags and the flashlights on this end of the cemetery, and the other kids are supposed to be over there flushing them towards us. And uh, my dad kept trying to encourage me to go with the boys. Go, uh, <laughs> I'm like hanging onto his leg. I didn't want to be out there in the middle of this graveyard at night. And thankfully, that was the right thing to do because my dad took mercy upon me. And when the dads all skulked back to the parking lot and drove off in their cars, I was with him. So see, 
My dad couldn't lose me. He couldn't shake me. I was with him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. I was with him, and God, my dad wasn't going to get away. So see, that is to illustrate this from a slightly different perspective. Hide and go seek, I deviated a bit. But see, God being with us is the opposite of him being hidden from us. And that's what my dad desperately tried to want to do. He wanted to be hidden from me, and I wouldn't let it happen. I was clinging to him all the way back to the parking lot. So now, another weakness or problem that we face in hide and go seek is this. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But see, any of us that have played hide and go seek know that's just not always true. You can't always find everybody that's out there hiding. It's very frustrating. And so when you can't find somebody, eventually you give up and you yell that "Ali Ali oxen free and then everybody comes running in. You still don't know where that person was hiding if they show up. Maybe they took off, you know, sometimes kids would do that. I don't know whether it was just being mean or whatever, but they would just quit playing and never tell you that they quit playing. Now, God promises though, that that will never be the case with him. He says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. He assures us that if we seek him, he will be found. So that's a good promise. You didn't always have that in hide and go seek. And so this is a promise that God has made to us. Now there is another problem. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. And again, I remember uh, someone is, if someone is not found, you're supposed to yell the ollie, but sometimes you're out there hiding, you found the best hiding place on earth, and you know that they were looking for you, but now minutes, minutes have gone by, and you never get the sense that they're continually looking for you. One time I was playing this in the house, and I had the best spot. I was fairly small and we had a hamper that was filled with clothes, and I took the clothes out, I jumped in the hamper, I pulled a bunch of the clothes back on myself, and I closed it. And so I'm there, and I'm waiting, and I heard them looking, they went past me, they went past me, they all go back, all the oxen free, I come running out. They're thinking, wow, where on earth were you hiding? You don't tell them, you wanna use that plot spot again. And so later that night, another game, I rush back, jump in the hamper, do the same thing. So much time went by. I'm getting hot in that little hamper. And I leave, and obviously they'd quit playing long ago, and they never yelled all y'all oxen free. So see, I was forsaken. But see, that's if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I was forsaken. Now, would I be anxious to play that game again with those people that were playing with me that night? No, I was, I was hurt, I was offended by this. Here I am, I have this great spot, and I'm stuck in it for like 15 or 20 minutes, thinking that people are looking for me, and they're not. So see, there are three problems with hide and go seek that I just shared with you that we face in our dealings with God as well, but God has comforted us. That, no, no, if you seek me, you will find me, and only if you forsake me will I forsake you. So see, he plays fairly. Now, then we go on to verse four. So that was verse two, and I just consider that explaining the rules of hide and seek. And it's theoretical. This uh, prophet is sharing these rules with Asa. And then in verse four, he says this. He's, he's speaking about how for a long time Israel had been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law. Now we don't know exactly what time this is referring to. It could have been the time 150 years ago under the judges, and longer, of course, because that was for several hundred years. 
or it could have been the past 30 years under the northern kingdom's rule. Because later when I read in verse 9, it says, Then Asa gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. So now he has enticed a lot of people back to Judah, back to the true God, back to the true worship of God. And it could be that this is what that's referring to. I'm just not sure which. And, I, and it really doesn't matter for my purposes, but I just wanted to share with you that that's why we're into this next verse. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. So now we've moved from theory. Verse two is about theory. That's ex just explaining the rules to hide and go seek. Verse four, he's giving an illustration of where and when it worked well. And he gives a concrete description about why it is that God has saved these people. And it's because they cried out to him in their trouble. They turned to the God of Israel. He was found by them. He allowed himself to be found. The former times were rough times. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out or to the one who came in, but great turmoil was in all the inhabitants of the land. A nation was destroyed by nations. So see, God has saved them from all of that evil and adversity. Now, we get to the end of what the prophet has said. And so he says, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. He's already been king for 10 plus years. He's already been serving God faithfully, and he's already done a lot to uh, destroy the, the high places. It says in 14.3, he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. So he had also made a good start at cleansing the land of evil. He becomes bolder, and at verse 8, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities where he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim, and he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. So it would appear that, that the proper Jewish sacrifice had yet not been practiced properly because the altar is broken down. So even though he had made good uh, steps towards uh, cleansing the land of evil, he hadn't entirely restored the sacrificial system that God had instituted. But then Judah, Benjamin, various peoples from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon all flocked to him, and they gather this third month, and they celebrate this return to the Lord with this huge sacrifice of 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the Ethiopian spoils that they had just taken, and God had preserved their lives from these Ethiopians. So now we had the game explained, we had the uh, successors of the game, victors of the game uh, shared with him this experience, and now Asa has been encouraged. He's out there doing stuff to serve the Lord, to serve him faithfully. And then we go on to verse 12, which was the third one that we read. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. So now they have covenanted to seek God. That's what this is all about, right? Hide and seek, seeking God. They're covenanting with one another to seek God. And not only that, this is now they are covenanting with God to seek him perpetually, in perpetuity. Not only will we seek God once, we will forever seek God. This is what they're committing to. So see, verse two is theoretical about explaining 
the do's and don'ts of, of seeking God. Verse 4 was about the past experience of another people, another time, finding God. And yet here, they are saying, we want to be like those people. We want to seek you, God. And so they covenant to do so forever. And not only do they uh, agree in this covenant, but they take this maledictory, maledictory oath in verse 13. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. So collectively as a culture, as a nation, they are embracing the law of God alone. And they're saying that if you refuse to embrace this God, this law of God alone, and the law is the God, right? It is a reflection of God. It's his word. It's his moral and ethical being. So if you do not subscribe to that, and yet you persist in living in this community, you face the potential for death. If we find that you've been intentionally, not, not even not obeying God, but not seeking God, not actively seeking God, they were opened up to the death penalty. They took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and trumpets and ram's horn in verse 14. So the people that are here are excited about this. They want this. They all want this law to rule them. And this maledictory oath is a reminder of what Abraham faced in Genesis 15. But let me read that because it wasn't uh, Abraham that really faced it. Genesis 15, starting at verse 9, God says to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So see, those animals were cut in half and typically the person taking the oath would pass through those pieces saying, let this be done to me if I violate this oath. And God himself passed through those pieces. It was God confirming his covenant with us that he would never violate it that he would always honor it. And that's what we have here with these people covenanting with God, saying we covenant with you and we take this maledictory oath where if we are found guilty of it, we deserve to die. You should kill us. And frankly, we through civil authorities uh, 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 come together to say we will accept that death. This is voluntary oath taking that they are submitting to. So now, all of these people embraced the covenant and took the oath with joy. And then we have verse 15, the last of the four verses. And all Ju Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them. This is the third time we read that being found by him in just the text that I've read. But remember, the first time it was just explaining it. The second time it was citing someone else's experience. The third time it was them saying, we covenant to seek you 
And now the fourth time, it's saying they found God. They had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. So it was theory, and then history, and then a promise, and then it was reality. Now, I mentioned this is hide-and-seek, and there are a lot of verses referring to hide-and-seek, but really this is more like sardines, isn't it? Because, see, we all go seeking God, and when we find God, we then remain with Him. And someone else is seeking God, and they find God, and they remain with Him. This is not so much like hide-and-seek, it is like sardines, but what happens, though, is like me, when my dad was trying to lose me in the graveyard, um, sometimes we're not as attentive. I was very curious about what those boys were doing. I was somewhat envious. And so I wasn't going to run to the other end of the graveyard and flush them, but I was kind of curious. If I'd had a bag and a flashlight, I might have done it, but I didn't have one. So all I was was a hanger-on. But if I'd had one, I might have been tempted to enter out there. So see, there are many things that can pull us away from God's side many things that just distract us for a minute, but then it turns into hours and days and weeks and months. And before long, we don't care about the God that we grew up knowing and loving and serving. We drift away. So see, we are passing through that desire to be with God, the actual being with Him, the desire to be with Him, and now we have no desire to be with Him, and then you're forsaken. You're not seeking God. You don't want God in your life, and God forsakes you because you've forsaken Him. So now, let me show you where hide-and-seek was instituted by God. And it wasn't here in Second Chronicles. It's in Deuteronomy 4. In Deuteronomy 4, I'll start reading at verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And that's exactly what happens in our text. These people, and many of them who for 30 years had been uh, separated from the true religion that brought them close to God, those people return to him with all their heart, with all their soul, and God allows himself to be found by them. Now, uh, hide-and-seek is a child's game. We know this, and uh, adults don't play it well. Uh, adults, you, even when you're young and you can con an adult into playing hide-and-seek with you once, uh, often they don't go hide. You, you, you're counting, and then you open your eyes, and they're right there. They didn't go hide. They don't know how this game is played, apparently. They said they would play. You kind of got that commitment out of them, but then they didn't honor their commitment. 
They think that's okay. And if they're it, and they have to go seek the kids that have hidden, that's when you might run into them just not seeking you out at all. They're just glad you're not there. <laughs> you're off hiding, right? So you could be gone for 20 minutes, hiding in a hamper perhaps. Maybe it was an adult that left me there that time, I don't know. But so see, while adults don't play hide and seek well, uh, we adults often don't play the biblical hide and seek well either. This is a game God has devised for our good, for our growth, for our uh, security in Him. The psalmist in Psalm 13, and then you have to ask, why is it that we're not with God all the time? I mean, we love God, we want to be with God, but why? Psalm 13, the psalmist is crying out this. This is a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. So see, David is crying out and he doesn't understand why he's not in God's presence. He's seeking him desperately. And yet he doesn't really attribute God's distance, God's lack of being with him as his own sin. He doesn't feel that. And there are several Psalms like this. And we are always prone to blame our sin for why we're not with God, but that's not always the case. Someday, uh, tomorrow or last week, it's just like the other day. Why isn't God with me now? Why do you believe that is? We can understand and relate to why God would forsake us if we are drifting away from him and forsaking him. But why is it that he is not with us when we feel that we are pursuing him, that we are seeking him? Well, think of the game. Think of the game of hide and seek. The, the, the fun of the game is that thrill of the hunt and you're seeking that person, and they're hidden well, but yet you don't give up. You don't just wimp out and say, ollie, ollie, oxen free, I'm tired of looking for you right now. No, you, you dig through everything, every place that you can imagine where this person could be hiding. Hopefully they're a rule keeper and not a rule breaker, and they're actually in the zone where you're supposed to be playing. But see, that's what God does with us. Yes, God separates himself from us if we don't value him, if we're not seeking him. But even when we're seeking him, he can play hard to get. He can hide from us because he's strengthening your resolve to seek him until you find him. If it were easy, everybody would do it. It's not always easy. He wants you to struggle for that. He wants you to grow through this process. So see, there are four possible states to be in in this game. First, you're with God, right? Now, this is often temporary. We are not always with God. We all want that mountaintop experience. We've been there. We've tasted that. We love that. But it tends not to be where you remain. Instead, where most of us are or should be is where we're seeking God. We want to be with God. We want to experience that fellowship with Him. And so the more we work at that, the more we sacrifice and give up of this earth and its pleasures and its, and its uh, many, many uh, time-consuming activities, the more we go into that secret place and seek out our God in prayer, we find Him. And it's wonderful. 
we spend time with Him, and it's precious to us. So see, you're with God or you're seeking God. Now, the latter two are not so good. The third one, you're not seeking God. And that, I believe, is where many Christians devolve to. Because they tire of seeking Him, because they really just want to be with Him, and yet they aren't getting there enough, it doesn't seem worth their while, they just stop seeking. And they become content not to seek the Lord. Not only not to be with the Lord, but not to want to be with the Lord. And when that hunger fades, you are at that third element of the game, this apathetic area that is not safe. Because from there, it is a short step to being forsaken by God. Why would he pour himself out to those that don't appreciate him? That's the casting of the pearls before the swine. And so we do not want to be swine. Now let me read a portion from Isaiah 65 that I believe also is concerning this hide and seek. 65 verse 1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. Now we know this is a prophecy concerning the rejection of the Jews and the acceptance of the Gentiles. The Gentiles hadn't even been in the game, and yet God brings them in, all of them in. Now we know that all people of the world had always been involved in the game, but when it was restricted down to Abraham and through him through the Jews, it was much harder for the Gentiles to get into the game, yet they could but they had to really want to be with God, really want to seek God, because for the most part, the Jews were just stiff-arming them. God is ours. He's not yours. And that's why their, their right to God was taken away, because God always intended to be the God of all the world, not just of this one nation. So, there is a bumper sticker that I'd seen a few years back for the first time, I think, and uh, I've seen it since, and it's very pretty typically. It's uh, like a pretty blue or purple with uh, uh, fading colors, and you've got a star over here, and it says, wise men still seek him. They're in the game. They're playing hide-and-seek with God. They're seeking God actively in their lives. At least their bumper sticker says they are. Now, bumper stickers don't always tell the truth. Sometimes the bumper sticker is more true then the people who are driving the car understand it to be. But see, all people are in one of these four states of being in that game, with God, seeking God, not seeking God, or forsaken by God. That describes every person on earth. And what is most sad to us is that people often don't know what position they're in. I was talking to Gary earlier about the uh, memorial service for my sister. Um, so many people appreciated the gospel being shared, that I know are not Christian. And it just breaks my heart. How can you make people aware of their sin and that, and that God just doesn't 
say, y'all come. It's not, it's not universalism. And uh, I don't know that a memorial service is the right place. I mean, it's just difficult, especially when you're there and your family and you don't want to get into arguments with people. And, and so uh, you just pray that they would awaken to the fact that they are not seeking God. They presume upon God, and that is not wise. I want to close with reading one more verse, uh, two verses actually from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Father, we thank you for your mercy. And we know that so many people on this earth presume upon your mercy, presume that it extends to them when they have not bowed the knee to Christ, when they all but shake their fists in your face each day. So, Lord, we pray that you would awaken them to the danger that they're in, awaken them to this false sense of security. We pray, Lord, that you would destroy it, that you would take it away, that you would uh, instill in them a sense of their own sin, a sense of their own unworthiness, and recognize the price that Christ paid to uh, build that bridge between God and man. We ask you now, Father, to have us to be your witnesses on this earth. We thank you for your word, and we pray that the power of your word would uh, fill us and lead us and guide us in all of our conversations where we could be beacons of light in a world that is very dark. We thank you now, Father, and ask you to be with us in the day ahead, in the week ahead. May we serve you faithfully. May we seek you with all of our heart and with all of our soul. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.